You may be seated. Again, just to echo uh, Pastor Jack and happy Mother's Day to all of you. Everybody comes from a different season. Um, some of you are, this is the first Mother's Day with maybe your mom in heaven. Some of you are coming here um, anticipating that role for all the different reasons. Um, we just say happy Mother's Day and encompassing um, all of you in a great big sense of love. So um, we know some people coming in here at different places in life that we recognize. Not everybody can walk in here with a smile. There's oftentimes we walk in with heavy hearts. And so I'll just articulate and say, Matt, I'm just so glad to see you here. And Matt is first Sunday back with the passing of his 15-year-old son a couple of weeks ago, a few weeks ago. We just, we love you. It's hard to, to know what to say, but no, this is a real church. This is not one who just cloaks over your emotions and that. So if you don't know what to say to Matt, you just come alongside to say, I love you. That's it. And so may we be that church for you. And we so can't imagine what's in your world today, but we are honored to be around your world at this moment. We know when you know that. Um, another thing, those of you who may be visiting, uh, we have been praying for the last almost two months uh, for an individual in our ministry. He's a gentleman who, who's normally up here playing the banjo uh, in our band. Uh, he's a very kind-hearted gentleman. Again, we always call him the Andy Griffith of our church. Uh, tall, strapping man, and just a, a, an, a, he was an attorney who gave up his law firm and his practice to go be a farmer out in San Antonio and Dade City area. And just uh, he and Sarah um, established themselves up there. Uh, he said he just didn't want to be in law anymore because there's too many mean people. You know what I mean? And just that's just the heart of who he was. He was on his motorcycle with his family, was hit by another car at an incredible rate of speed, and hit, was on a ventilator for a great amount of time. Uh, some of you who may be in the medical profession know how hard it is to come off of a ventilator, get the lungs working. And, you know, the hospital he's at where he got bay flighted in, they, they were telling him that, you know, sometimes we had a guy one time at 31 days, he made it, and, and he's like been 35, 36 days now. And somebody said, oh yeah, 10 years ago, there's something going on. Well, we uh, know we've been praying for a man who's been on the brink of death more than we could imagine. Broken bones all over the place. What's amazing is his family never gave up. Never, ever gave up. And we have not given up praying for healing. And so um, I just want to show you a little update. Oops, that's a volume there. Hey guys, look forward to seeing you soon. I got some new dental work here at San Antonio Special. <laughs> um, I'm going out for a run around Lake Dollingsworth right now, and then uh, we'll come back. No, no, that's true. Um, but anyway, except the part about love and miss you guys, and look forward to seeing you soon. All right. Bye. Isn't that awesome? So, that's incredible. If you've been on that journey and praying, it's the, you just can't look at that and not just choke up. Um, they, his first words, you know, they, uh, they had a video of him and he was, he's opened his eyes and, and we were watching this video a week ago. He opened his eyes, he looked around and he said, what's going on? I can't see anything. Wait a minute, who are you people? What's happening? And then he winked and said, just kidding. And I mean, <laughs> the family fell apart right there. And so, I mean, the man has been through all this and... Uh, Wow. So, yeah, well, anyway, we just, today's, today's day we can, we can celebrate a, a trophy and a victory. Well, I tell you what, let me go ahead and, um, and pray for me real quick to get this message right, okay? Lord Jesus, please guide me, direct me, and speak through me. Don't let me be a distraction in any way. 
Lord, may your word just uh, pierce our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you. Speaking of distraction, yes, if it looks like I spilled coffee on my jacket, I did spill coffee on my jacket. <laughs> but uh, hey, uh, John chapter 4, uh, we are rolling through the book of John. If you're new to the church here, what we do in our, um, in our fellowship is we walk through a book of the Bible and we'll just, as long as it takes to get to the book, we've been, uh, we did a series on Nehemiah, which took us a few months. Now we're in the book of John um, and we are walking through uh, the story of the Samaritan woman at the well. If you grew up in a church, you know this story, more than likely. This is a story that has been, it's easy to teach Sunday school kids, you know, with third grade. It's easy to teach uh, anybody, no matter what stage of your life. Um, this is a narrative. This is not an illustration. This is not something that's like, well, here's how Jesus would, would, would have spoken to a woman at the well. This is, uh, we're teaching this as historical narrative, as it, and it is a very important lesson that we need to grasp for ourselves. And so I'm not going to give you a lot of correlating scripture to this. Uh, there's, a, there's a lot we could give you, but for time's sake, what we're going to do is we're just going to run through these verses and then isolate on a few things, or maybe we can get some different thoughts and perspectives. So if you join with me in uh, John chapter 4 and verse 1 here. Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria, so he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. Well, if you caught that in verse 4 uh, and verse 5, he had to pass through Samaria, town of Samaria. John is making no bones about it. He is mentioning the fact that Samaria is going to play a vital role in the text of the story. And as we're starting to see that Jesus was now being identified by the Pharisees and, and Jesus knew the hour. Of, he's working with the time clock of earth. And he kept saying at all different times, now is not the time, now is not the time, of course, concluding at the end with Father, the hour has come. So he's working with this time frame, right? And now that you know, John the Baptist has been baptizing for quite a while, he's telling Jews, by the way, it's unusual for a Jew to be baptized. You were baptized into the Jewish faith, but now he's baptizing Jews to show the importance of repentance. Well, now baptism is the part of this message is spreading. Jesus did not baptize, by the way. Probably for the reason of, you can imagine, a false sense of pride and ego that you would get to know, well, Jesus baptized me. And, uh, and so he, would, he gave that authority to others to baptize. And so in this particular case, he is going to be walking and going through Samaria. And we see that on verse 6, Jacob's well was there. So Jesus wearied as he was from this journey. It means he is exhausted. We know that he's walking in an area of 20 miles. This is not a straight path 20 miles. This is going to be up and down some smaller mountains, some hills. It's, 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 a, it's a hard walk. It's a very arid condition. He is, he's not just quenched. This Jesus is actually coming up to this place thirsting so much for water. He needs water. He sits down. It's noon at the well. It's a high time of the day. It's hot. And he's sitting there in verse 7. A woman, where? From Samaria, came to draw water. And Jesus said to her, give me a drink. So, here's Jesus. 
incredibly in need of water. This story is going to be a collision of the deity of Christ, 100% God, mixed with 100% man coming together. Here's Jesus who's going to know this woman is going to come to this place and Jesus needing water from this woman. By the way, there's not one recorded miracle in Scripture where it says Jesus recorded a miracle for his own water or food intake. Not one. Jesus never said, well, let there be bread for me. It was always for others. He, never, he always depended on others, which is remarkable. We have a lot to learn from that. In a church, which is why it's easy to point to someone and say they're hurting, because if you need to understand that to walk into a church, when you're choosing a church, there's a lot we as spoiled Americans look at church. Well, I wonder if they have. I wonder if they do. I wonder what, uh, what, what, how they're equipped. The reality is, sometimes it's important for us to understand that we need to walk into a church at the mercy of somebody, to see what we can learn. Jesus, as a matter of fact, later tells disciples, sell everything you've got and go, take only a cloak with you and go into these villages and depend on their mercy. Jesus knew when he said that what this meant. And so here in this particular case, Jesus arrives, he's thirsty, the Samaritan woman walks up, he says, give me a drink. Well, she's there at high noon. You're about to see why she's there at high noon. I can't say this is fact, and we're not going to preach it as fact, but we can only imagine she's going to the well at a time when there aren't all of other women around there because of, you're going to see just a minute, because of her reputation. I would imagine that would be the case. If you go to most countries, you go to Africa, you go to Middle East, you go to wherever, you see wells, and you walk up to these wells, that is like the pretty much ad hoc city hall. It's where people hang around, they talk together, they get together, and the jokes even now in the corporate world of, oh, you get around the water cooler, did you hear this? The reality is, this since the, this well is where community was based. It was, this was the hair salon of the day. This was like, did you hear this? Did you know this person? And all that would happen, this woman did not want anything to do with that particular culture of, of, of just chit-chat. So she goes at the time of day when no one else would go, the majority would go at desk, and there's this man. And he says, give me a drink. Where are the disciples? I mean, Jesus is traveling with the disciples. Pick up in verse 8 and you see where they are. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. And so you see the woman uh, in verse, uh, verse 9. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews had no, no dealings with Samaritans. Okay, back to uh, verse 8. Think about this for a second. Does not take all those many disciples to go buy food. Does not take that many. The disciples are gone. More than likely, I got a lot of more than likelies, right? But I just want to make sure you're not getting, you know, it's Jakeology and not theology here. But more than likely, Jesus knew what he was going to be running into at that well. Sends his disciples to go buy food. So he goes to the well. He's thirsty. The Samaritan woman says, how is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink from me? A woman of Samaria. First of all, he made no mention he was a Jew. How did she know he was a Jew? Probably because of the way he dressed. The reality is, you know, we live in a, in, in a gentrified culture and, and tradition of today. It's hard to tell where somebody's dressed. You know, I mean, where they're from. In this particular case, uh, you know, you would think, if you go to other parts of the world, people dress in certain clothing that would indicate, oh, you're from this tribe, you're from that tribe. You go to Europe, you see an American, it's easy to spot them, trust me. Like, that's an American. And uh, so, this particular case, it could have been Jesus was also being known, he was known as a rabbi. 
right? He could have had some accoutrement, something on him that identified him as a rabbi. At any rate, she knew he was a Jew just by looking at him. And we see here in verse 10, Jesus answered her. Catch this. Watch how he answers her, by the way. If you knew the gift of God and who it is is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Stop right here. He is talking of himself in the third person. So he's saying, it, this, is, this is beyond the royal we that's used oftentimes. This is, if you knew him. And so he's explaining as a thirsty Jesus, the deity of Christ. This is a remarkable exchange. This out of Jesus' lips is an introduction to himself under a different title. Verse 11, the woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and a well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Stop right here for a second. Again, watch the vernacular. He goes from third person about himself to now he's saying I, but he's looking at her and he's saying him. He's addressing a need. He's not putting her directly on the spot as much as he's saying, let me tell you the truth of who I, who the Savior is. And now let me tell you the truth of what everyone needs to know. So it's just kind of an interesting sidebar. Um, verse 15. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't be thirsty or ever have to come here to draw water. This woman retorts very quickly and she says, If you think I love coming out here, you're crazy. Tell me where this water is so I never have to come draw water. She's not getting it. But notice something, she's not shy. Have you noticed this woman, who we're going to identify in just a minute because of her condition, I would say, uh, social condition, is a woman who's been jaded. She doesn't care. This is a woman who probably at one time or another would have been impressed that a Jew was speaking to her. But a rabbi was speaking to her. A man was speaking to her. She doesn't care now. You walk through enough hurt and pain, you just don't care what others think. Sometimes the greatest... uh, uh, crusher of dependency and codependency is this. It's being burned, hurt, stepped on, trampled on, and you just are done with it. This woman is an indicator of that. She's saying, you know what? Let me tell you what. If, if, if This water? This, this water? You tell me, where is this water? It's hot. It's incredibly hot. Generally speaking, from noon to 4 p.m., things shut down. You go to the Middle East, everybody disappears. You look on the streets, they're gone. They're in stores, hanging out underneath trees. You shut it down in the middle of the day because it's that hot. This woman is in no, she has no time, no patience for this kind of talk. Where's this water? Sarcastically retorting. Now keep in mind, culturally speaking, not only is he a Jew and she's a Samaritan. She's aware of what Jews do when they walk through a Samaritan town. Jews would walk through a Samaritan town. They would get on the outskirts of the town. And they would shake the dust off of their, off of their, um, their robes. I mean just sit there and, and hit the robes till all the dust had gone. So they wouldn't take any unholy remnant or dust from the town in which they crossed in. This is the arrogance that the Samaritans saw. This woman knows, oh you're a Jew. 
You come here, you're thirsty. But wait a minute. You're talking to me. And then on top of that, he's a rabbi. Rabbis do not talk to women in public, even women in their own family. So Jesus is breaking all of these things. He's breaking all these barriers. Jesus says in verse 16, we start to identify and see where she's at. Jesus said to her, go call your husband. Come here. This, by the way, is a baited line. This is a, he is so, just, you're so confident. I mean, don't miss this interaction. Don't miss the nature of the discussion that's going back and forth. Don't just read the words in a monotone style. Understand how she's replying sarcastically, playing along with him. And then watch how he steps up the game and says, I tell you what, why don't you go call your husband? Come here. The woman answered him and said, I have no husband. Jesus said, you're right in saying I have no husband. You've had five of them. The one you have now, he's not your husband. And then look at the statement he makes. What you have said is true. This statement basically is saying, oh, yeah, of all the things you've been gibbering about, you just got that one right. I know he's not your husband. This, woman, this man, so keep in mind, here is Jesus asking for a drink of water as a man, and, a, and Jesus, as God, knows everything about our situation. I know the guy you're living with isn't your husband. I know, by the way, you've had five husbands. The woman in verse 19 says, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Now, I can't... Um, I can't imagine to think this is getting pretty heartfelt at this moment. By now, the joking, the sparring, the sarcasm, maybe if that's to be implied, it's over. Sir, I see that you, I perceive that you are a prophet. Verse 20, our fathers worshipped on this mountain. But you say that Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, okay, here, notice the inflection. He says woman, which again is a term he would say like ma'am, okay? No more third person about me, no more third person about you. Watch the direct first person, first person. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here. When the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit. And those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. By the way, entire books have been written on worship on those four verses. Verses 21 through 24. um, 1, 2, 3, four. Those verses are remarkable in the fact that when you look at these three, we look at these verses and they are powerful in the fact that spirit and truth, spirit and truth. How do we worship? We worship by what we need sometimes, what we want. You know, here we are starting up a church, right? Looking at one day, wow, one day we'll have a, a building. Let me tell you, a building never satisfies the church. It doesn't. If we're not careful, we're going to walk it. We're going to build our own gallows if we don't do it the right way. How many times have I been a part of a church that builds, 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 and looks around and says, well, this stinks. This isn't like the heart of what we had. Do you remember the tears on the carpet? Do you remember all these things? It's weird. We in our human mind are never satisfied 
which is the way Jesus wants us to come to him, to say, I want you to come worship me. Not walk into a place that has necessarily what you think you need. I want you to worship me. That means we don't need a building. We do not need sometimes a, a place to, that we call our home. It, true worship is not us all gathered together and, well, we sounded good today. True worship is not like, oh, one day we can have real drums because the room will be bigger. True worship is not... One day we can have, you know, Joker Ross about it, more a karaoke sound system sometimes that, you know, pops and makes noises. Um, now, true worship can only be found in a seat you're sitting in, your heart. True worship through spirit and truth must be done in a balance. To understand that you can, I've been to enough, like, Christian conferences where I walk in, sitting in a, in a room of, 40, 50,000 people, like, and I'm not, I'm not dodging anybody, I'm not attacking any denomination or anything like that. But I've been to these conferences, like you go to Passion, you go to Hillsong conferences and that, you walk out, man, 40, 50,000 people, you feel like we're not alone, you know, you get beat up all the time as a Christian, you walk around thinking, wow, you just feel good. But guess what? Um, if you worshiped only that way, you're going to be empty. Emotion can only take you so long. This isn't a denial of like, man, God gave us emotion. But if you only worship in spirit, of thinking, man, this is the thrill, this is the ride, it will, it will leave you. 30 minutes after you leave Village Inn, you're done for the I mean, you're back in reality. You're in a reality of where, where your world is going to collapse. What pressure is going to attack you? I mean, you try praying through, for a certain amount of time on a certain subject, and watch what happens if you don't redirect yourself. You start worrying about what you're praying about. This happens all the time. And so in worship, what happens is we walk in with preconceived notions of, man, I hope that band, I hope that speaker, I hope this happens to me. Understand, we worship in spirit and truth. And sometimes truth is ugly. And sometimes truth hurts. And sometimes truth doesn't necessarily always have the greatest ending that we want. But we worship in spirit and truth. Verse 22, go back to that. It said, uh, by the way, this is, a, this is a very powerful line for three, three words here. It says, you worship what you, do not, what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. He did not say for the Jews. This is one of the first recorded incidences here. And this is really big. This is huge. We think sometimes, oh, Paul was the one who introduced the fact that, oh, well, it's for everybody. You know, I mean, Jesus is going to, there's comparisons of of Gentiles to dogs uh, eating crumbs off the floor. I mean, this debate between the Jews saying, this is really for, this is supposed to be for us. Jesus is saying very early on, salvation is from the Jews. It's not just for them. That is a big statement. That's walking into Jim Crow era, Deep South segregation, kicking in the door and saying, blacks can now eat at a restaurant. Are you kidding? The culture? There's no way. How can you do this? How could you possibly come in here? That, what took decades and decades of dying to that, Jesus is saying in one simple sentence, three words, salvation is from the Jews. The woman, verse 25, said to him, I know that Messiah is coming. He is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And then verse 26. Here it is. The cannon shot heard around the world. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. 
how he speaks in this particular area and what he's saying is remarkable. He's saying, I who speak to you am he. Throughout the book of John, you see those am statements. I am. There is no beginning, no end. So when people say, um, you can say, when were you born? I am. Are you? I am. I have no beginning. I have no end. I am. I am is continually important that you see throughout the structure of this message. And throughout the book of John. Throughout Jesus' life. I am. He's saying this. I who speak to you am he. He says, you know these mountains you go to. You Samaritans go to this mountain. We Jews go to this mountain. Heart of worship and a soul heart of worship is going to be this. Those mountains are going to be gone one day. They're going to be over. Those mountains will be overrun. The sack of Jerusalem is going to come. Jesus is basically saying, in a certain time, that mountain where the Jews are going to worship is going to be plundered. There's not going to be a stone that's not turned over in Jerusalem. Oh, the, the, the place where the Samaritans are going. Thousands of Samaritans, are, oh, by the way, historically we know, died on that mountain, attacked by Roman soldiers, defending their place. Jesus is saying this in so many words. When that temple veil rips in two, at the time when Jesus' mission on this earth is over, all that false worship is done. From Amos to Malachi, always saying, back in the Old Testament, just, you know, you, you, you bring in these, 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 these worthless animals. You bring in these, these animals and these sacrifices that aren't worth anything. You, you light these candles, you burn incense, you sing these songs, all of it's symbolism, and it needs to stop. And Jesus is saying, you're going to worship in spirit and truth. Because it's gonna, the only way to, you can worship is through your own heart. Jesus is saying, this is done. This is over. I, you know, I go to um, Tarpon Springs. There used to be a great date spot. You go down there and eat on sponge docks. You know, you go to Hella's and go to the little bakery. You know, uh, you know what we're confessing about all this stuff. And so you go, you go walk around the corner right in the back of the neighborhood. Right in the middle of the neighborhood. I mean, there's like a house, a house. And there's a shrine. There's a shrine. And it has an angled roof. And there's all these candles lit. I mean, it's always lit. And there are people who walk up and light a candle and put it there, and that's their belief. Like, I'm going to light a candle for you. I'm going to do something for you. Jesus is saying all this worship that you've seen, that you've witnessed, you have an opportunity to worship me. Spirit and truth. By the way, not to mention, the woman believed, she said, when she said, oh, I know that... um, Verse 25, I know that the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. So Samaritans, just so you know, she believed in the Pentateuch. She believed in the, um, she knew what Exodus 20 said, now shall not commit adultery. She knew she was a sinner. She knew she'd been through five husbands. If you think someone running through five husbands might be something unusual today, you ain't seen nothing. It did it back in that day. And then, by the way, living with someone who's not her husband. This woman knew what it meant to be an adulterer. So, by the way, happy Mother's Day. We just thought we'd talk about an adulterous woman today in your honor. And so, here, when Jesus says, I speak to you, am he. Verse 27, just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman. But no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? And the reason I highlight here, they marveled why he was talking with a woman. If we're not careful... Our minds will take us to the fact, this is where I struggle with this, it's not a huge teaching point, but just a side note. You look at this and you're thinking, well, they've probably seen Jesus do amazing things, and they've seen him have some incredible encounters, and so they don't say anything. 
I, the reason I, I, we, I really wouldn't teach that as fact is because there will be many other times after this story that these disciples have no problem bringing up, Jesus, are you out of your mind? And why would you do this on this day? So for them, they just walk up, but for some reason, uh, they just don't interact with them. Don't know why, but they just kind of let it go. Verse 28. So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? So they went out of town. So they went out of the town and were coming to him. Did you catch that in verse 28? The woman left her water jar. Two schools of thought here. She could have been kind and left it for Jesus because he actually could drop it in and get something. But I don't know. To me, I'm thinking the disciples showed up. They probably had some sort of apparatus on them to, to, to bring up water. I mean, that's what you did. You went from well to well. It wasn't like you turned on a hose anywhere. You had to do this. My thought would be she left because she absolutely, completely forgot herself into why she was even there in the first place. Because when you meet the power of Christ, it's amazing what you leave behind with no problem at all. She left her water jar. But then something amazing happens. In the same verse, she said to the people, does that jump out to you? When she went to the well, what did she, what did she go to the well for? Water. And when she went to the well, more than likely at noon... The time when no one was there, who was she trying to get away from? People. Did you see this? She said to the people, the very people she was avoiding, and now the people she ran back to. And she runs back and starts telling them about this Jesus. That is what God does in situations when he uses his people. I was speaking one time at a, it was a businessman's luncheon at Davis Island, at the church out of Davis Island. I forgot what they call it, Davis Island Baptist Church or something like that. And, uh, and they had a businessman's luncheon once a month, though they used to. It was on a Thursday. They said, come in, 11.30. At noon, speak. You got to like 12.30. Wrap it up. It'd be, we had a lot of officers from McDill and there was a lot of businessmen. It'd be several hundred people there. And I mean, sure enough, it was a big honor, you know, and you get in there, you get nervous, you look around, you're thinking, well, here it comes. And, and I got up to speak, and I looked over. I was like two or three minutes into speaking, and I look, and I see this man. I see this man, and I'm thinking, oh, it can't be. And he's looking at me, and I'm just looking, and, and all of a sudden, I mean, I literally, I start choking, like, oh, my words. Oh, my, I, my hands are sweating. I'm, from my neck down, I am just, I'm ice cold, and I look at him, I get to the message as quick as I can, probably stepped all over the words, I get done, most of the people are leaving, there's probably 15, 20 men that are coming up in line, and they're walking up, and every, and I see him, he's in line, everybody's walking through, and it's just kind of like my eyes are shooting right through the individual I'm talking to, I'm not even listening, I'm not, I can't even see them, and, and they're going through, and he's getting closer and closer and he gets up to me. And I go, I mean, at this moment, I am just drenched with sweat. I shake his hand. He leans in and he says, I want you to know how much I needed to hear that message today. Thank you, Pastor. And he walks on. He didn't know who I was. And I knew exactly who he was. 
one of the last times I ever got arrested for fighting it was a Judge Dominguez, the meanest judge. A judge who looked at me, his last words when I was leaving that hearing was, good luck, Mr. English. And I'm thinking, when I walked out of there, I got in my car and just started, I did the spiritual thing, I just broke out laughing. I'm like, God, are you kidding me? A guy who's been, I mean, this, I'll never forget that judge, scared to death. I'm watching him sending everybody, as soon as you make your plea, 30 days, 30 days. I mean, he was in a bad mood. Attorney looks over at him and goes, well, you, you know, stinks to be you today. And I'm like, you know. And then I get up there and I think, and here is this man, a guy months ago, or, you know, not months, sorry, that would have been a week. <laughs> That other pastor deserved it. Let me tell you. No, so years ago, he says, you know, good luck. Is a guy who walks up to me and says, Pastor, I needed that. Man, that's what God does. That's the God that Jesus knows who he is when he looks at this woman. He says, woman, as jaded as you've ever been, as hurt as you've ever been, understand something. I am greater than all that. I'm going to give you life like you never thought possible. I'm going to give you more than a chance, more than a hope. I'm going to give you something new. God's good like that. Throughout our life, we find ourselves in places we don't expect. Life isn't supposed to be this way. Life isn't supposed to hurt. But Jesus knows, when you leave the fellowship of being around a bunch of believers like this, what happens when you go home? If you're not careful... If you don't worship in spirit and truth, you will worship culture and people. You want to worship people? You want to worship a church? You want to worship others? You'll get burned. They'll hurt you. They'll pain you. And sometimes you look around and go, what am I doing? Where am I? Dad, I was looking up a, a diary of um, a journal. It reminded me of something. I was, mom and dad were educators, and we used to go on these trips over the summer to Europe. And they were budget people. Do you all remember the book years ago called Frommer's Europe on like $5 a day? That's what we lived on. Literally, we would open the book, pull up in a train, and you know, go to this lady, do whatever. And, we would, and so one day, my, my dad takes my mom. He says, we got, we got this place. We're going to eat here. And she's sitting there eating. And she's looking at her. She went to the line to get the food. And she sits down. And she's, she looks at, uh, she, at my dad. She says, Jerry, you've brought me to a soup kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, it's, well, I don't know. It was cheap. It says it in the book. And, and I started laughing about that this morning thinking, you've always been the romantic sort. But anyway, I thought to myself, you know, Life, though, has taken us to many places where I didn't expect. This woman did not expect to meet a Savior at a well. But he shows us what evangelism looks like. Number one, don't argue. Don't. You know, we're, all these, what differentiates us from a lot of religions, there are things, grace, mercy, those kind of things. Religions all around tell you, don't do. Don't do. Don't do. There's none of that. Jesus did not walk up to her and judge her by her race. Jesus did not judge her by her religion. He didn't try to fix her and say, you need to get clean in your life. You ever been around legalists that do that? 
that walk around and just, here's the don't, here's the don't, here's the don't. And then when it gets to the point, there's just been so much arguing, nothing goes in. He doesn't argue with her. He basically identifies and says, how is life for you? And she starts talking about worship. And he says, finally, I am going to give you something. I'm going to give you a gift. This woman is so overwhelmed that when she runs into that down, the woman whose reputation kept her at a, at a distance is now the woman who comes in and makes a change of everything. Verse 31. Meanwhile, his disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to him, to them, I have, no, I have food to eat that you do not know about. By the way, stop right here. If you ever want to see the correlation between, I'm not going to take you there for time's sake, we're going to walk to the end of this message. If you see water and salvation, it's in living water, living faith, it's used in connection all the time. Psalms, Isaiah, Proverbs, and you'll see it all throughout. It just talks about what water, so Jesus is he's moving along in the sign of water, identification of saving. Now they come up to him and go, hey, you look hungry. And so they say, Rabbi, um, you need to eat something, verse 32. But he said to them, I have food to eat you do not know about. So the disciples said to another, has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus hears this. He said to him, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do, do not say, There are yet four months, then comes the harvest. Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes, see that the fields are white for harvest. Verse 36. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that the sower and reaper may rejoice together. That is a huge verse. He's basically saying, I've come here to do this work, to do this labor. I, wanna, I want to be there with you. I want you to be the one who comes in and helps me with the harvest. Verse 37. For here the saying holds true. One sows, the other reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored. And you have entered into their labor. That means this. You are divided in two areas as a believer when you evangelize. A reaper and a sower. You are one who can either sow into someone's life and continually pour into them and have patience with them. You may not be the person that leads that person to Christ. And that is okay. I have close friends that I have absolutely no interaction with in the area of being able to help them with Christ. But you know what my prayer is? You will be. I was a college minister for 15 years. Let me tell you what the number one change of a young man spiritually is going to be. Are you ready for this? It's not going to be a conference. It's not going to be a revival. It's going to be a girl. The parents have poured in and poured in and sacrificed into this young man. And he's pushing back and he's pushing back. And what happens? He falls in love with some girl who walks in and says in one date's night, the equivalent of 23 years of what the parents have said their entire life, and for some reason has a great epiphany, and Shekinah glory of God falls down on him and he says, I'm saved. (laughs) That's just what happens. And so sometimes you sow, and sometimes sowing takes a while. But the reaping, the understanding is sometimes you walk into a situation, which is why I cannot stand the vernacular of, oh, I led someone to the Lord. Gross. Stop that. And I don't mean to get into that, but I'm not trying to doggone anybody who's done that. But you did not lead them to the Lord. The Lord led them through a lot of people. And we, you know, if we're not careful, we wear stripes on our arms, you know, and count the number of hands that are gestured everywhere. And No, it is through this don't argue, don't judge, you don't, may not agree with where they are, let it go and just tell them the truth. You will never finish an argument spiritually. You will not. 
with an unbeliever. You will if the moment you get past the dinosaurs and whatever else they want to talk, there's they're going to jump into another scenario. Let it go. Bring up just when you're talking to someone who doesn't know Christ, continually bring up the need for salvation. God is the one. The Holy Spirit's the one who feeds and does amazing things. Verse thirty nine. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. How about that one? The woman who nobody really associated with? Who do they, they believe in God? How? Guess what? Through a testimony. See, you can argue against everything. Nobody can argue against your life. You know, that's what I can take to the bank. Nobody can come to me and go, well, that's, you know, it's, no, no. Our testimony, your testimony, your life is something that not, cannot be argued. The woman said, he told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with him. And he stayed there two days. Oh, by the way, he just didn't break away from tradition of talking to a Samaritan woman. He stayed in a Samaritan village for two days. That's a big deal. Historically speaking, no matter if you're a believer or not, you read that, a Jew staying in a Samaritan village, a big deal. But what happens to we as Christians? If we're not careful, and I don't mean to attack, I'm not attacking our church or any other church, it's just we live in a bubble. We really do. You create a bubble. You know, where you work, you can create a bubble. Where you live, it can be your bubble. Shale and I decided when we started getting into this and getting this thing going, we said, we're going to start, we're going to start driving for Uber so we can not be in a bubble. I faithfully did. He left me on the streets. <laughs> and so, yeah, yeah, right, yeah, yeah, you're, it's, that's true, that's true, you you do work out of here most of the time, so full-time somewhere else, I give you that. But you did say you were going to do it, which is why I'm behind a wheel. And, you know, <laughs> once or twice a month, you, know, you break out in the middle of the night, and you're like, all right, you know, I'm, I, here I go. I'm, you, let me tell you what, you, you pull up to somebody's house, you know it's like, you pull up, you pick someone up, you are an Uber driver, right? You're not a pastor, you're not anything... You're a driver, and you have no positional respect with those people. As a matter of fact, they're like, I mean, you, you get, you get that, you know, you, you hear it in your voice. Oh, how long have you been doing this? You know, like, is this your only job? You know, and and so, you know, and so you they, you, they say this, and you listen to them, and you're like, well, no, you know, and yeah, I just want to, you know, pick up some money, and just want to meet people, and you know, it's amazing. Is like, I'll get people that walk and get in that car, and it's. You can talk all day long about, well, the numbers of sex slave trafficking are 3.1%. You pull up, pick up two ladies going to dance down in Southdale Mabry, and you're driving them, and they're talking, and you have eight minutes to somehow eke out, out of your mouth, that like, you know, God loves you. (laughs) You know, I mean, I had picked up Guys, I uh, the, I picked up these guys. I'll never forget it. Dropped off some people in Soho, and I you know I do it late at night because that's when all the that's when all the exciting stuff happens. <laughs> I get in, I pull up, and these guys get in a the car. They pile in. They don't even call the app or whatever. They don't even use the app. They just jump in. I'm like, what are you guys doing? I like, just take hey, go go go. Like, and it was like, all right, here we go. We start driving, and uh, and they start. I said, yeah, we want to go to this place. And I tell you, these you know, these girls, ladies dance and all that stuff, and, and I'm like. Um, I'm, I'm looking, I'm thinking, man, I've got like 10 minutes. And uh, we're getting closer and closer. And I'm like, hey, are you sure you really want to do this? Are you sure you want to do this? Uh, and the guy says, um, you know, it, it was like, I'm telling you, four grown men in my back seat. And one up front. They're far exceeding capacity in my, my car. And he said, uh, 
listen, pal, it's all right with you. We're all about making stupid decisions tonight. And, that, and so I'm like, wow, where am I going to go from there, you know? <laughs> and so we get closer and closer. I'm two blocks away from this place. And I pull in. And you can see it. I pull in, like, what's up? I said, let me make a deal with you. Don't make me drive in that parking lot. And they're like, do you get kicked out? I'm like, no, I did not get kicked out. <laughs> but let me stop right here. Let me let you out. And you can, there's no charge. None. They're trying to give me like 40 bucks for a 10-minute drive. I said, just keep the money if you just will do if you just if you will walk there with the understanding of let me say one thing. Please. And I looked at the one guy who was like the most sober of the individuals, and I looked at him and said, I hear you, and I was your age, and I was crazy at that time. I remember those nights, and you're you're on fire, you've got your best buds. But whether it be tonight or whether it be a year from now, remember this. You're going into a place, and I've been in those places where I want you to recognize those women are not afforded the privilege of whether they can make stupid decisions or not. They've been forced there by circumstances and by addictions. And I want, if you could just echo, have that echo in your mind, if you do that for me. And they got out of the car, they left, and that one guy, he comes running back, and I thought maybe he left his phone, he opened the door, and he's like, I hear you. I won't forget that. Did I reap anything? Did they probably go there? Sure. But was there a sowing of something? And that's what we have to ask ourselves. Stop looking maybe in just the reaping. But understand, this is a journey of sowing. Verse 40. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. This is the case of somebody who's been poured into all their life saying to you, And don't take offense. I believe now. Why do you believe? Because somebody told me. It's no longer just your word. I now believe because of this. But a lot of us, and I close with this, a lot of us tr- struggle and we are challenged with being loved. I mean being truly, genuinely loved. As much as we can preach of theology, correct theology, and understanding the goodness and greatness of God, it is core that you know you are loved. And you're not loved conditionally. You know what's worse than not being loved? Sometimes I think what's worse than not being loved is loved conditionally. Loved if you perform. If you look a certain way. If you, no, that kind of conditional love is horrendous. And it's horrible. And it's a killer of the soul. So years ago when Shale and Courtney were getting married and had the chance and opportunity to do their wedding, at the rehearsal night was one of those nights that I'll never forget. Courtney shared that, Courtney, by the way, I bring this up for a reason. Courtney, as you know, Shale's wife, has some hearing aids she wears and she has her hearing has gone, gotten continually and continually worse. Now with her hearing aids, she's in a 20 something percent of being able to hear. The ear a doctor believes she hears contextually mostly. And yet she has never complained. And Shale was telling us just the other night just how beautifully confident she is the fact that God has allowed her to have this condition. And if you're around Courtney, those aren't just words. That's real. 
And so here she is at this place uh, in the struggle. But even at the, before the wedding, she was explaining that she was always afraid. That no matter when she was younger, she would get dressed up and she would have a hearing aid put in. She wondered if anyone would ever love her. And she said, I, I prayed. She said, I started praying that someone would love me in spite of my hearing impairment. And they go out on a date. Shale, who's never heard any of this, looks at her and says, I just have to tell you something. I hope you don't find it offensive. But I noticed you. Started to like you. Because of your hearing. Just for all the things you think you've disqualified yourself from. That you think God, could he possibly love you in spite of. God loves you because of. For all those things you've ever attached blame or hurt and a sense of wonder, could anyone pierce those conditions? He has. And he loves you because. And those things that you think hold you back, those things that you do, those things that you struggle with, those things that you doubt, God loves you because of you. Would you pray with me? Lord, thank you for today, the opportunity we have to grow in your word the opportunity we have to understand what it means to really be loved. God, you have shown us so many times in our life and been there, but Lord, we continually lead a place of doubt. Lord, we, we wonder and then we get saved oftentimes and we, we, we start to wonder if that love is really there, if that love will go past our own sin. God, you have shown us throughout Scripture and John shows us through the entire book of, 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 of the book that, Lord, you are our hope. This story was being told so that we would believe. Lord, I pray there's anyone in here who's never trusted you. Father, sometimes the greatest minister they could know is the person that invited them. Father, sometimes it could be uh, a stranger. But, Lord, if there's someone who's never received you as their Savior, Father, let them grab one of us. Talk to their friend. Let them get the benefit of being present for such a decision. Father, for those of you who, uh, for those in here who've never been baptized and want to do that, they would just come to us and say, in a month, I'd love to be baptized at the lake. Father, thanks again for who you've got here. Thanks for Mother's Day that we get to celebrate like we do. Lord, convict us and show us that the path of worship you in spirit and truth is up to us, not up to anyone else. We praise you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me?